Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 21 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Sweetwater, and I am joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. Reparations Month, a.k.a. White History Month, a.k.a. Courtside Karen. How you doing today, my guy? I'm I'm very confused on the first two Courtside Karen I get. Um, I still want to know who her husband is for those who, who are keeping up with the story. <laughs> Apparently he knows LeBron or he had beef with LeBron. I or... think he's just a Hawks fan that sits courtside frequently and has just been hating like, LeBron. Hating LeBron. Because you remember like that period of time like with Corver, Teague, Horford. When they thought they were good? When the Hawks, well, they were they were like kind of the Raptors before the Raptors of the Eastern Conference. Okay. They were really good and LeBron just kept showing up and running their shit. And that, I guess, would create some spite as a fan, especially one that sits courtside frequently. I mean, I guess. I don't get it personally. No, people have found photos of him on Instagram of LeBron courtside at Hawk Games in 2017 talking shit about LeBron. Ah, well, I can say I'm very happy that she was removed from the game. I hope that be removed from the game. Well, I mean, it was to the point to where every time I came up the court, she was a distraction to the game. She was standing up, yelling, et cetera. The refs have to tell her to stop. And so it was better for the game if she was removed or at least moved up into the stands where she could heckle from far away. But apparently she also said some pretty ridiculous things to LeBron. I haven't heard any quotes, but I think they would have to be ridiculous to get the reaction they did out of LeBron. If LeBron was like, I don't think she should be removed, I think we should just let it go. Okay, let's move on. All right. So we have a great weekend of basketball coming up this Friday. We have the Celtics versus the Clippers. DeMarcus, who do you have in that game? My heart is telling me Celtics. My mind is telling me Clippers. Are you going to pick one of them? I guess I'll pick the Celtics. I will take the the Clippers in that game. They play 9 p.m. Central on Friday, the day that we drop. You know, Saturday, we get the Nets versus the 76ers. Where you at? Where you at? I'm going Nets, and it'll make a lot more sense when we get to our fly route for this week. I'm, I will take the 76ers. I'm actually very confident in the way they've been playing ball right now. And I get it. The Nets just came off of that big win against the Clippers, and everybody's all hot on them. Look, it's not very sustainable what they are trying to do. Like, you can score 125. We'll score 130. We'll see how the season shapes out for it. And Sunday, of course, is Super Bowl Sunday. So what the fuck are you all doing watching basketball on Sunday this week? Record the game. Watch it after it. It's going down. We got the GOAT. Even though I don't like him, I have to admit he's the GOAT. Look, you're going to have to stand by all your bullshit Tom Brady hating that you've been oh, on. Oh, I, I hate him. He's a cheater. months. Oh, Five months. This has been like five years. Five recorded months. Is five what recorded I'm to say. months. Five yes. recorded months. All you've the, done is just the Brady hates not new though. Spew Brady hate and just being proved wrong consistently. You remember when you say he was done? I think he should be done. Did you say the Bucks would go like nine and seven? I did. Oh damn! In the Super Bowl. Despite that, he's actually still a cheater. That's been proven. Did he cheat this year? We don't know that. Uh, wow. You know what? 
I'm going to keep it moving here because you are just nonsense, okay? Okay. All right. So I have something for everybody. This is going to be the Fly Route Black History Month Fact of the Week. Oh, boy. Yes, indeed. So we're going to give a shout out to Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton. He was the first African-American to ever sign an NBA contract, the second African-American to ever be drafted. This happened in 1950, the 1950 draft. And most importantly, he is the first African-American to ever dunk on a white dude in the NBA. That must have felt good. <laughs> so we're giving it up for Sweetwater, Nathaniel Sweetwater Clifton, and he is our Fly Route Black History Month Fact of the Week. I will say they do not do nicknames like they used to. Sweetwater? Sweetwater? That's a fire-ass nickname, man. Oh, it? it'll uh-huh. never be another Sweetwater. Uh-huh. So we have an exciting show for you all today. We're going to get a deep dive on a disgusting and honestly horrendous story of former Seahawks offensive lineman Chad Wheeler. We are going to give you our Super Bowl predictions. And, of course, free Bradley Beal. The fly route for this week, we are going to let you know what teams we think Bradley Beal should be sent to. And, of course, another iteration of the Run Pass Option segment where we give you the hottest storylines in sports news this week and let you know whether we are going to run with them or pass on them, as well as giving a Big ballers bouquet to Josh Richardson. Welcome to the tee off. Ooh, 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 spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show off. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy situations athletes get into. Usually we say favorite athletes. Today it would just be athletes because when it comes to the NFL, Chad Wheeler is a relative nobody. He's probably nobody's favorite athlete at all, and he definitely isn't now. For all of you all who do not know who Chad Wheeler is, I do not blame you. He was a star player at USC but went undrafted. We will get to that later. He played for the Giants. He started 19 games. He was on the Seahawks this past season that is about to end. He only played in five games for them. He was not a particularly large part of that team, and he was a backup offensive lineman. He's definitely an NFL talent, but as far as league star power goes, he's virtually nobody. So first and foremost, man, I honestly really wish this could have been our tee-off last week. Yeah, and I think that speaks a lot to the idea of who the media chooses to shine a light on and who gets attention for these things. My understanding is that this story, this happened on a Saturday. It did not really make it into the press, into the media until a Wednesday. Yes, it ha- the incident itself happened on Friday the 22nd. Or Friday. He was, he was arrested at like 1 a.m. on Saturday. So Saturday. Which right. is why everybody here is Saturday. Uh, but it happened on Friday the 22nd. It did not gain a lot of traction for like about five days which is kind of unheard of for how bad this story is. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, by the time it had broken, we had already recorded for the week because we record on Tuesdays. And man, this this is crazy. So Wheeler was 
booked it 1 a.m. on a Saturday, right? And according to the Kent Police Department and their reports, the police responded to a call of a woman who was locked in a bathroom following a physical fight with her boyfriend, okay? The victim had called 911, and she has stated that she was being killed. Now, by the time the police arrived on the scene, she was had blood coming out of her nose. She, apparently, people on the scene saw that the capillaries in the back of her neck were burst because of how hard he was choking her. She had a dislocated arm, a swollen elbow. There is video. I mean, not video, but there is pictures. Mm -hmm. A picture of this woman. Her name is Aaliyah. This is something that I wanted to say because like everything I've seen about this has just been like Chad Wheeler's girlfriend. Right? And she has a fucking name. Her name is Aaliyah. And the pictures do exist. We are not going to repost them because of how gruesome they are. But honestly, if you need a picture to understand the severity of this issue, honestly, we just can't help you. Right? So first and foremost for me is Chad Wheeler is six foot seven, three hundred and ten pounds. Right. He's an offensive lineman. Like this nigga is not just a big dude. This nigga is a big dude for a football player. He's an anomaly even among people who are big. Yes. Like he gets on a field with a bunch of other NFL football players and he is almost always one of the biggest dudes on the field. Like the 90th percentile of big. Literally, yes. And his girlfriend was like 5'9", 145 pounds, like a little thing. Definition of average woman. Yes. So how this ever gets violent enough for her for him to dislocate her arm, like literally choke her so hard that the capillaries in the back of her neck burst is ridiculous. Right. So let's talk about how mm -hmm. this incident began. Apparently, Wheeler asked her to bow to him. Correct. He got up and asked her to bow to him when she did not. Because, like, why the fuck would you bow to somebody? Right. Even in Game of Thrones, where that shit is normal, people will look you dead in the eye and be like, I'm not bending the fucking knee. Who the fuck knee. do you think you are? Exactly. <laughs> Even where in where that's acceptable, people are like, what? You got to think you are somebody extremely fucking special to demand being bowed to. And he ain't nobody. He ain't nobody. She refuses. He, according to the police report, grabs her by the neck, tosses her onto the bed and starts to strangle her. She begins to lose consciousness. She comes back briefly and tries to fight him off of her. That is when he takes her hand and dislocates her arm and continues to strangle her until she loses consciousness. Like, the severity of violence that is happening here cannot be understated. And it's unprovoked. It is literally unprovoked. But even if it was provoked... It's too far. Like, seriously. So, the court documents that have come out because he has been in court once so far, the prosecutors say this, and I have to quote this, the defendant, who is a physically conditioned and trained to compete at the highest levels of professional sports, strangled, suffocated, and beat the victim into unconsciousness twice, both times leaving her for dead as blood poured from her nose and mouth into her stomach and lungs. Right. I mean, the some of the reports and quotes are, he leaves her the second time, goes to get dinner, 
gets up, goes to the bathroom and sees she's alive. And he's like, oh, you still alive? A little different from that. It's basically he finished strangling right. her and then starts drinking a shake. And she gets up and she sprints to the bathroom. Right. And when she gets up and is making her way to the bathroom, he's like, wow, you are still alive. Like, and that is a quote that she told officers right. on the scene. So, like, it what like she gets up and she sprints to the bathroom, locks the door, calls 911, calls her family. And of course, he then picks the lock to the bathroom. And apparently, when he when he gets in, he starts apologizing profusely, according to her. It's way too late for that. Right? Starts apologizing profusely. By the time the police get onto the scene, he's already picked the lock. It's in the bathroom with her. And apparently it takes all three officers on the scene piling on him to restrain him. And they are saying that all three officers in combination weigh over 700 pounds. Oh, that's easy to believe. Right? And they are trying to restrain him. He is struggling Strong enough that he is able to lift his body off the floor with all three of these dudes on him. I don't know why. Maybe because he's a fucking NFL lineman, right? Who would think so? And then one of the officers tries to tase him and their report says it has little to no effect. Mm -hmm. At this point, Demarcus, the question I have for you is how is Chad Wheeler still alive? He's white. Oh, did you need me to say it? Look, I, I had questions. Maybe I just didn't see something or understand no. something, but somehow he struggles with three police officers, is tased, and the taser has little to no effect, and somehow they still subdue him without murdering him. Well, beyond, I mean, there's a lot to this story. There's the idea that it didn't come out for almost five days after it happened. There's this idea that he's somehow alive despite resisting arrest from three officers and he was actually a dangerous individual who could have easily hurt any of them seriously. And then you compare the reaction to other NFL players who've been accused of similar things, whether or not they eventually were found to be guilty in the court of law or in the court of public opinion, who were treated much more harshly right away, much more quickly. We could think back to stories that I know that I know intimately story of Greg Hardy played for the Panthers, did something similar-ish to his, I believe, girlfriend at the time and threatened to kill her with his guns, et cetera, was suspended for a long time and also was found, or he took a deal, I believe, um, and pled down in that situation. And then we go to another player like Ezekiel Elliott who was accused, police and the NFL investigators say nothing happened and he still gets suspended. That's the narrative that he actually did it. And so you see a guy like this who has done something, it's well-documented, and he actually had a confrontation with the police, he walks away alive, and the condemnation has, in a lot of cases, not been as swift as it was for others. The only conclusion you can come to as to why is because of what he looks like. Yeah, and it's even bigger for me, like, the story of Eric Gardner comes up to me. Right. Right, they're like, he's really huge. We feared for our lives, even though at no point in time he was violent, he was yelling, I cannot breathe. And somehow this huge ass offensive lineman is lifting all three of y'all. The tasers are not working and none of y'all feared for your lives. Impossible. Literally impossible. Okay. Now he gets booked into jail 
$400,000 bond. Of course, he gets out. And we're going to get to the way his legal proceedings are playing out. But what was really highlighted to me on this is that this is not the first time he has been involved in an incident such as this. Of course not. And it's weird because both times his interactions with the police are very telling. So I told you he was a good college player in USC. In 2015, the LA Times reported that he had been detained and had a psychiatric episode. So instead of being arrested at all at the end of this incident that I'm going to tell you all about, he instead was sent to a psychiatric facility, was put on hold, was diagnosed, etc. Now, he is in an apartment with a 20-year-old girl who at this point in time was his girlfriend, and he is with their seven-month son. And he is going berserk in this apartment. He's smashing walls, destroying furniture, going insane. The police obviously get called, and they end up having to take him down with beanbag rounds. Of course, kid gloves at every step of the way. They do everything possible except for shoot him. Yes, indeed. So like he runs out of the house and they they try to surround him. He runs back into the house. They say at this point in time, we fear that he went to go grab a weapon. So we take him down with bing bag guns. Wait, I got to say this Yeah, again. I'm not going to be the they, dead horse, no, but yeah. No, nigga, we are beating a dead fucking horse today. That's what I came in this bitch to do <laughs> is beat a dead fucking horse. I'm not playing, Demarcus. I came in this bitch to beat a dead horse. So in 2015, police officers say they believed he went back into the home to grab a weapon. So they took him down with beanbag rounds. Nigga. I lack the ability to understand how this could occur. Niggas get shot by having a cell phone in their hand. No, they wallet in their hand. You and it like twelve year old with a toy gun. Nigga. Who they all said it's a toy. This is literally insane to me. So of course he gets no record for this. Does not get charged at all. They end up di- diagnosing him with bipolar disorder. Of course. I, I was waiting for that. I was waiting for that. I I was about to say something about that. In every case where this happens to someone who lacks melanin, I'll say that, it's always, oh, it's mental health. It was a mental health problem and they're just going to get treatment and it's going to be okay. And No, no. Mental health is not an excuse for said behavior. It's a reason. So mental health is obviously a serious thing. Yes. Chad Wheeler is diagnosed with bipolar disorder. His girlfriend to the police said that she believed he stopped taking his meds a couple of days ago. So he willingly went off of his meds. Right. If you've seen a picture of Chad Wheeler, he has long flowing, like, you know, the Jesus cult leader locks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, if y'all have seen the vow on HBO, like he's rocking that shit. So he had apparently shaved his head before this incident. So he's like, he's having a manic episode. Right. And. This is an important thing to be honest, right? But it is not an excuse for his behavior because whenever a person that's black has something like this happen, it is never this person needs help. It is never let's get him the help that he needs. It's never, oh, he has so much potential. Mm-mm. It's always lock that nigga up. And maybe he can get the help he needs on the inside. Mm-hmm. But it is always something that we have to say when white people commit atrocities. 
mental health is literally maybe the most common excuse used for when a white man commits atrocities. There are, and I'll say it this way, there are millions, and, I, and if not billions of people out there in the world who suffer from some kind of mental health issue, who are not violent, who don't ever hurt anyone physically, verbally, emotionally, in any way. It is not a, an excuse for his actions, and I am really, really tired of it being used as an excuse for the actions of white people because we can't accept that they are mediocre, that they are not full of potential, that they are just like the rest of people on earth. They have the capability of being shitty people. And more importantly, regardless, that does not make you no longer responsible for your actions. Absolutely correct. Especially actions like these. So Wheeler made his first court appearance on Wednesday and he was charged with first degree domestic violence assault domestic violence, unlawful imprisonment, and resisting arrest. He pled not guilty, DeMarcus. Of course he did. He's going to probably take it to trial. He's probably going to use a insanity defense or his bipolar disorder. They always say he's going to be manic. Mm. Call in the best of the best doctors to testify. I can see it coming from 10 miles away. This nigga spitting. You know it. And the fact that he is not charged with attempted murder to me is literally criminal. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, I almost forgot about that. Like, I don't even know how because he literally said, quote, oh, you're still alive. He that. For, wow. For those who understand the law, it not just shows that not only was she literally within an inch of her life, probably, but he also intended to put her Within an inch of her life. He intended to kill her, not within an inch of her life. Well, yeah, he was intended to kill her. surprised that she died, they that have, she was alive, that she was not dead. That quote by itself made kind of, as soon as she comes out of it, the situation shows intent. It shows what in the law we would call mens rea, the guilty mind. He intended to kill her. Exactly, nigga. So, I, so I'm just like surprised this is not an attempted murder charge. Uh Jamel Hill was just like, how is this not a hate crime? I'm asking her to bow to him. And I'm like, we don't even need to take it there. Hit him with the murder charge. And that's that's because he's going to probably worst comes to worst. We'll probably see him plea down if he can't get off with his bipolar disorder. And he if he's convicted of the charges they currently have him for, it's only eight to 12 years in prison. Twelve should be the minimum. Nigga, I know niggas doing more time for drugs, mm-hmm. for selling drugs. And this man basically tried to kill this woman. And they're like, well, the max is 12. Those are the charges they brought against him. So at every step of the way, you kind of see how things look a little bit different for someone that looks like Chad Wheeler. Yeah. And these cases are already some of the hardest cases to get through the criminal justice system. It is really hard for survivors of domestic abuse to be able to testify in open court. It's going to be difficult for her because either she has to relive it and has to be cross-examined by the lawyers. We're going to make up every excuse in the book as to why it's her fault or she could have left, etc. And they're going to be wrong. And this gets to another issue in our society when it comes to how we deal with quote unquote, domestic violence or lack thereof dealing with it. And it's a whole other layer that we couldn't possibly have time to to talk about 
in depth and give it the true respect it deserves. But it's compounded by the fact of what he looks like and what she looks like, I think, more importantly. Oh, yes, indeed. So Wheeler apologized on Twitter, and I'm going to quote this tweet. Events happened over the weekend that transpired from a manic episode. I am deeply sorry for the pain and suffering that I have caused Aaliyah and her family. End quote. This is the same nigga that pleaded not guilty. I don't know how you can be sorry for the suffering if you didn't do anything. Oh, okay. And this dude thought he killed her. He showed no remorse and went back to finishing his milkshake. We talked about that. And you got to understand this. Based off the police report, when he found out that she was still alive, he was then profusely apologizing. Apparently, his manic episode was over at that point. But not when you thought she was dead. So when you thought she was dead, you went to go finish your shake. You did not call 911. Yeah, if there was anything. You did not try to save her life. That was going to snap me out of a, anything. Thinking somebody next to me is dead is going to wake me up very, very quickly. In fact, you're apologizing after you figure out she's alive. So it's not like it's not like if she could have possibly been alive, you called 911 to try to save her. When did this manic episode end? Because like this is this should be a massive question that this is going to be your excuse for literally beating this woman within an inch of her life. No, I would love to know. And the story should be in the annals of American psychiatry or something. But I don't understand the night, the narrative, the timeline, the story. The defense makes no sense to me whatsoever. I think it'll be hard to find. Well, actually, I take that back. They will find a jury that somehow thinks that he is not deserving of the maximum. I I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. So this is very important to me because he is currently now out on bond. Uh, Leah and her lawyers were very strong about how they did not want to allow him to be out on bond because they felt that was a situation that put her life in danger. I believe it does. In fact, she had a statement that was read in court and it says, Chad is currently out of custody, staying in a hotel, watching this all play out on social media. This current status places my safety at risk and I do not believe that a protective order or a condition of release is sufficient to keep me safe. Absolutely not. He's already tried to kill her at least twice. They still let him out. And yo, did you hear about the uh, person that attacked the Capitol that asked to get their, get a vacation and was granted it? I did not. From, from being like detained. I did not. Now, this nigga asked to serve his, like, his house arrest in a, a home in Hawaii. I, I shit you not. This nigga was like, I should be able to serve my house arrest in a home in Hawaii. The audacity. He was like, I stay in Seattle, but like I only have one place of residence in Seattle. And that's also her place of residence. Just let me go to Hawaii. I don't care where you stay. I know where you're going to be for the next 8 to 12. Look, the, like the audacity. To look somebody dead in the face and be like, let me spend my jail time as house arrest. In my Hawaiian home. That's a multi-year vacation. All right. That was your tee off. Oh, 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 spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, ooh. sis. It's, it's, it's a Playboy affair. All right. Let's get into our Super Bowl predictions. This weekend, the GOAT, 
Tom Brady and the Buccaneers face off against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. DeMarcus, I feel like this is a moot question, but who are you taking? I'm going to roll with the one who brought me here, which is always a good choice. Also happens to be the reigning champion and Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Okay. I have no doubt whatsoever. The spread right now on the game is three and a half. I think part of that is because the Bucks are technically playing at home. They're the first team in Super Bowl era to ever do that. Kudos to them. Congratulations. Um, it'll be great because they can drive home very quickly when they take this L on Sunday night. <laughs> I think my prediction for the game is it'll start off very slow in the first quarter. Historically, Tom Brady is a slow starter in Super Bowls. And the Chiefs have started so in a lot of games this season. I think it'll trade a couple field goals maybe. It gets going in the second quarter. Bucks light up. Tom Brady warms up. He gets going, throws maybe a touchdown or two. The Chiefs spend the rest of the game coming from behind, and the Bucks always scoring and staying ahead. And the Bucks pull ahead late with a late touchdown to go up 38-34 and win the game. Now. The Bucks. I mean, sorry. The... Chiefs, Chiefs, Mahomes throws a touchdown to Kelsey, goes up late, 38-34, win the game. Mahomes repeats, first team to do that in a very long time. Now, things working for the Chiefs in this game. Number one, they have Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, who are the most dynamic matchup in the league. Mahomes with the big arm, he can scramble, and by time, Tyreek Hill can run by anybody in the league. That combined with the other weapons Kansas City has, you have Travis Kelsey, you have Demarcus Robinson, hopefully Sammy Watkins can play. He's been out most of the year. You have guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Le'Veon Bell coming back from injury. You have Patrick getting extra rest for his injured toe. The team looked really good in their AFC championship, championship game against the Bills. But more importantly, this team has just been clicking for the better part of two years. They are, I believe, 25 and 27 in their last 27 games. They've only lost a, a couple of games. And all those wins, they also include the last Super Bowl, as well as the fact that Andy Reid, I believe since 1999, is something like 25 and 7 after having an extra week to prepare. So all of these things, I feel, work really well for the Chiefs. Their weapons are better. It's going to be, I think, a fast-paced game in the second half. It'll be really good, but they come out on top. Remind me something real quick. There's always an extra week before the Super Bowl, right? Not always. So occasionally the Super Bowl has just been one week after the championship game. And most of the modern era since 2000, it's been two weeks. So for every Andy Reid opportunity. Sure. Okay. I, I just want to remember because that by statistic don't mean the same thing when the team that you are facing also has a buy. Okay. So. Okay. I'm just saying, look. Here's what I'm going to say. I get it. Patrick Mahomes is special. Special. He is special. Can't, can't understand that enough. But I'm telling you right now, my gut says the Bucs are going to take this game. I honestly think that we are not giving enough credit to the Chiefs offensive line and the struggles they're going to have to deal with in this game. First and foremost, Eric Fisher, the left tackle, tore his Achilles. He's out. He's played literally almost every single game for them this year. And 
They have another injury on their offensive line already. So the person they had at right tackle, they're going to have to move to left tackle in Eric Fisher's place and reshuffle their whole offensive line right before the Super Bowl. If that's not enough, their practice has been recently disrupted. Have you heard about the barber that was in the Chiefs facility? Oh, okay. So apparently a barber came to the Chiefs facility recently to cut a bunch of people's hair and got a positive test for COVID. Fortunately, he was not super deep into his run. He had 20 appointments in the Chiefs facility that day. And guess who is on currently might be a close contact for the Super Bowl? The center for the Chiefs as well. So they could be down their center, their left tackle, and their right tackle and have a complete makeshift offensive line in the Super Bowl. And even if the center gets to play, they said if he tests negative on Saturday, they'll let him play even though I'm like, mm, that's not really how the rules used to work for that. But okay, where's Tampa Bay the strongest at, Demarcus? We saw what they did to Aaron Rodgers last week. That front seven, specifically that front four, JPP, right? Sue, Devin White, them boys is going to be coming for Patty, and his offensive line might not be able to protect him so he can do all the special things. We are accustomed to Patrick Mahomes doing. If he's on the run for his life the entire game, oh, I'm sure he's still going to put up points. He's still going to do some miraculous things that we know no other quarterback in the history of the NFL would be able to do. Because that boy's special. Because he's special. But will it be enough? They have no run game, right? And the Run defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is fantastic. They are un, they are not worried at all about that. They're not going to have to pack the box. They're not going to have to blitz a bunch. They're going to be able to get pressure on Mahomes and actually double out on the receivers. People are going to get chipped, right? Someone's probably going to be chipping someone like Tyreek Hill, chipping someone like Travis Kelsey, making it take longer for them to get out into their routes. Todd Bowles better motherfucking double Tyreek Hill this time around. We don't want to see him get 216 in the first quarter again, like in the first half again, like he did the last time they played. So I imagine we're going to see a lot of safety help on Tyreek, right? They're going to double him a bunch. And we're going to see a, a lot of different ways that they try to get two men to affect Travis Kelsey as well. Or... Even worse is what happens if Travis Kelsey has to block a lot during the game because their offensive line is that decimated. For me, all in all, it just really seems like this is the perfect storm for Tom Brady. The Chiefs are getting less healthy in a key position while the Bucs are getting more healthy. Antonio Brown is coming back, which means you know the weapons Tom has out there. Like I, I like the Chiefs receivers. I think when it comes to number of targets, what you going to do? Chris Gowan, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, Gronk, all on the field. I'm just going to bet on Brady. That's good for you. Number seven is on its way. Let me, allow me to respond. Go ahead. So, let me explain to you all the reasons why you're incorrect on this. <laughs> Yeah, the Bucks have some nice weapons. Mike Evans, the kid Godwin, etc. Good. 
number one, I'm not sure if AB does play that he's 100% and has that speed to take the top off a of defense that we are used to having him have out there and see. Couple things. So you say Bucks front seven, really strong, et cetera. I think Mahomes can get the ball out rather quickly, especially to Kelsey over the middle. That's one of his favorite targets. I think that helps prevent some of the pass rush. I do think the Chiefs try to run the ball some at the beginning of the game to slow down that pass rush and create the possibility of play action for Mahomes later in the game. I think Mahomes' ability to ability to scramble is underrated. You know, we've seen him drop back 15 yards to throw a 25-yard completion. We've also seen him take a 30-yard sack. Et cetera. You take it. The upside, <laughs> the upside with this guy is so good. You take that play once every 10 times because the other eight times he makes magic happen. I think the combination in particular of Tyreek Hill and Kelsey is deadly because of the high-low things they do to defenses because it's impossible to double them both because if you do, then Robinson gets you. But because Kelsey, or because Kelsey is always over the middle, he's really fast in and out of his cuts and his breaks. He is better right now in his prime than Gronk was in 2011 in his prime. Gronk is huge. He's fast. He's he put up great numbers. He's a better receiver. Kelsey is a better route runner. He's more athletic. He has more wiggle, etc. I think the combination of that over the middle and Tyreek Kill over the top. And like you said, we saw what he did against this Bucks defense last time. Yeah, but they had him in single coverage. The like, like, come right, on, but at ridiculous. some point, but the, the the problem is, at some point in the game, he's going to have to be in single coverage, or Kelsey will be in single coverage. You can't double cover them both all seventy some odd snaps of the game. You're going to have to play on defense. So I think those things make the Chiefs unique, and I think they help negate some of the positives you see the Bucks having. I think we're going to see Travis Kelsey have to actually do some blocking in the Super Bowl which is not what you want him to do. But I think the way your offensive line is looking right now, it might be what you have to have him do something just to keep Mahomes clean. You're right. I got a question for you. So obviously you're taking the Bucks straight up to win. Yeah. Do you think that they will win big or will it be a close game? Oh, it's going to be a close game. So I could see it being something like 38-41, 35-38, somewhere around there. And... The Bucks pulling out a very close victory. This is kind of one of the ones where, like, my gut is telling me this is where it's going to be. But if I had to put my money on the table, I'd probably just take the Chiefs not covering the spread. I mean, that means they they win by only a field goal, the Chiefs, which is a reasonable thing. Like, still. if I had to put my money on the table, I'd rather take the Chiefs not covering the spread. Uh, but I have in my gut, I'm telling you, Brady is going for seven. All right. To be the greatest athlete of all time. What's up? What's, what's, what's up, Playboy? All right. All right. Let's get into the fly route for this week. Free Bradley Beal. I cannot say it enough. No matter how much he tries to play the good teammate and not be disruptive and be the anti-Harden of the league, Bradley Beal don't want to beat her. No, he realizes he's a player in the prime of his career. He is setting historic offensive numbers right now. He looks amazing on the defensive end, better than he has in a long time. The team overall is pretty bad, but he's looked pretty good in, in spots. 
I ain't say all that. But it's a losing team. And despite trading for Russ, they've gotten worse. Oh, that was a terrible trade. Oh, yes. I could told you that three years ago. I, I, like, honestly, Houston has fleeced. All of their trades have looked great. They have looked very good. Quick segue. Do you think the Rockets would be appreciably worse than last year? Well, uh, at the end of this year? Yeah. No. Shit. All right. That's all. That's all. Let's get back on topic. That's just been on my mind for a couple of days now. So, yeah. Leads the league in scoring one of the worst records in the league. Bradley Beal. Three and 10 right now. Yeah. About a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah. Maybe they got, did they get their fourth against the Nets recently? Maybe. Maybe yes. that was their fourth. Yes. But pretty bad still. Yes. One of the worst teams in the league having the leading scorer in the league. Like that is just ridiculous. This is early 80s MJ. Kind of, he's going crazy, but it don't matter. It, it does not matter. All right, so DeMarcus, I want to know where you think they should send Bradley Beal. So it's a team in the East. This team is playing really well right now, but had some high aspirations. They think they need to be in the finals. They think they deserve to be and have been very close to doing so. In recent years, they have a young player, a young nucleus on their team and players who are developing very well, but maybe not the right combination for winning this year right now. That team is the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. Okay. You with me? I'm listening. The trade is the Sixers send Ben Simmons and two first round draft picks to Washington for Bradley Bill. Here's where work. Yes, it does. Both of them are on five-year max deals. The money matches up and works perfectly, actually. Okay. The Wizards have to realize that even with Russ, they're not going anywhere fast. At very best this year, they are in the play-in game, and that's it. And that is outside, like, best of optimist scenarios. In most people, in most realist eyes, they are a team that is out of the playoffs and in the lottery. So it makes sense right now to get a young player like Ben Simmons, who you can build around. You can wait on him to develop. Whereas I don't think Philly wants to wait on him to get that outside shot going. And I think in the playoffs to beat a team like the Nets or the Bucks, they'll need more of an outside shot. And I think Bradley Bill helps give the 76ers that and a little bit more spacing to make them really lethal against teams in the playoffs. I think that's what the Sixers make this move for. I think Daryl Morey is really aggressive and would make this kind of move. I think it helps the Wizards long-term. They get Simmons to build around. They get those two picks, and then they, of course, have their pick, and that lets them start to rebuild really quickly right away and get off of this bad team. I think it works out really well for both sides, and no. I think the 76ers see in that scenario them having a better chance against the high-powered offensive teams in the playoffs. I have a question. Do you think you can find a less aesthetically pleasing team to watch? besides a starting five, including both Ben Simmons and Russell Westbrook on it, two dudes who always have to have the ball in their hands to generate shots for other people, but also cannot shoot to save their lives? Maybe Detroit. <laughs> I, I actually, but, Jeremiah Grant looks fucking amazing. But so, I don't think the Wizards care about that this season. I think what the about Wizards, next season? I think the Wizards know Russ is not in their long-term plans. Okay. And I think it's easy enough to have only two good players and have them they not play. They gave up a pick to get Russ. 
Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they need picks back. That was a mistake. They need that pick back. They can get one of those picks back from if, if you're, the 76ers. If you're trading Bradley Beal, you're getting picks. He's Bradley fucking right. Beal. He's better than like, Ben Simmons right now. We saw what fucking, uh, what's homeboy's name from the Pelicans? Drew Holiday went for. Right. Drew, Ridiculous Drew, Hall. Drew Holiday went for two, right? I think so. Drew Holiday went for two. Harden went for four. Bradley Beal is going for two to three, depending on the plays that you give up. So I'm not really concerned with them saying they need picks back. That doesn't send them to Philly to me. That sends them to somebody. Well, no, I think it's because Philly wants to make that trade because of the possible dream oh, scenario I, for their I, lineup. I think it looks great for Philly. Yes. Like it makes sense. So they're sense willing to be aggressive Philly. and send those picks for that uh, reason. I think if Philly felt like they could get Bradley Beal, they would love to have that. I think the one thing Philly would really lack a lot is the defense of Ben Simmons. Bradley Beal is not in the same class. No, he's not as good of as, on that end, as no. Ben Simmons. And he's also not in the same class of shot generating playmaking for other players that Ben Simmons is. And I think those are two things that he fulfills a lot for that team, which is why they wanted somebody like Harden who could situationally play defense, but is not as good as Ben, but can still create shots for other people prolifically as we've seen on the nets, but also scoring bunches. He's like the perfect fit for them. And I think they lose that shot making playmaking capabilities a lot, even though he buckets. So the question is, for you, where does he go instead? What's your fly route? Look, for me, the fly route is the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets should make this move. So I think that the package the Denver Nuggets should offer is Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, Will Barton, and two first-round picks. All right? Okay. I I think that the package that the Wizards take is actually Garris, Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, Michael Porter Jr. One or two picks. Oh, my. That's, I, the, that's the deal that the Wizards hold out for. And that's the deal that makes the Wizards go, yup, we fucking want that. They get the pick back that they lost for Russ, possibly a pick on top of that. You get someone like Michael Porter Jr., who right now has a ceiling of a franchise player. For you to invest in, but it's extremely cheap. RJ Hampton had a lot of buzz going into the draft before he went to Australia. Also seen as a very high ceiling player. The Nuggets are really great at getting those at like the tail end of the draft. Like Bobo, RJ, Michael Porter Jr. Those are the last three years, right? Like they just mm-hmm. they're just insane at getting really high ceiling level players low in the first round. And I think this is the move. For Beal, because he gets on the most talented team he's ever been on in the league, right? He's an instant bucket on a team that's already extremely good. And that shifts Jamal Murray as the third option instead of the second, which means he gets a lot less attention from defenses and is able to shoot lights out. The Nuggets are a great team, consistently deep in the playoffs. It allows Beal to fight for that chip like he wants, but it gives the Wizards a new foundation and a new core to build around a new possible franchise player. And it does not completely make their team look unplayable in the meantime. All right. Which is why you make that move for Bradley Beal. You make a persuasive argument in this case, a little bit of pushback. And I really just have a couple points. One, really one main point. I don't think the the nuggets move off of Michael Porter jr anytime soon i think they do see his ceiling as what it is that you see his ceiling as 
as a possible franchise player to build around in the near future. I think what they try to do is keep developing him and hope that his peak kind of coincides with somewhat of the prime of Jokic and they get a championship out of that. I think they are willing to ride with their core right now. They're young, they're homegrown, etc. I don't see them moving off him. I think they like him too much. Everything that I'm hearing from NBA circles and NBA rumors and reports says the Nuggets love Michael Porter Jr. despite all the other kind of drama that surrounded him thus far in Denver. And so I don't see them moving off of that. I think the second thing is... That's why I think they'll try to do Harris, Hampton, what's the dude's name, Will Barton, then the picks. I think that's the package that they would want to give. I they think you're right. Hold Michael Porter Jr. But I also don't think that the Nuggets are as pessimistic on Murray as you are. I'm not pessimistic. Well, pe- not pessimistic, but you don't think he can be a second option right now. And I'm not he sure. Is. He was the second option in the Western he, Conference Finals. Right. He's just not the second option on a team that wins the championship. I think the bubble gives them a little bit more hope to hold out longer in a really weird season where things look a little different than they may have. And so I want to say that it doesn't happen just because of how much the Nuggets love Michael Porter Jr., not because of any other reason. But I don't think they'll I think they'll do everything they can to hold on to Michael yes. Porter Jr., which is He's why, that kind of talent. Which is why I think the Packers they try to give is Harris, Barton, RJ Hampton picks. Right? That's why I think that's the package that they try to give. And I imagine the Wizards call back and they're like, I mean, you can have this guy if you want to get off of Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, and I think in that scenario, if for example the Wizards had to wait between these two trade scenarios. Yes, the Sixers trade makes your team look worse in the short run, but I think ultimately helps you in the long run. I think the Michael Porter Jr. trade is you're unlikely to get them to ever say yes. And so that trade is, I think, always inferior to being able to have the Ben Simmons piece to build around after you get rid of Russ and you got those draft picks. I think you can get a nice core built in a couple of years there and be back in contention in the East. Versus I'm not sure that they figure that out as quickly with Michael Porter Jr., who I think is still kind of coming together as an NBA player. We're not quite sure what he's going to be. I think at this point we know more about what Ben Simmons is going to be than Michael Porter Jr. We definitely know what Ben Simmons is not going to be. Correct. That's the main thing. Yeah, that's actually a bad thing in this situation. We know what Ben Simmons is not. No, but the Wizards can say, they can talk themselves and say he's the next Magic and they can move on. They're stop, wrong, but I think they can stop. convince themselves to do that. Okay. I, I'm we d- can disagree on that point, but that's our fly route. Okay. That is, indeed. Indeed. Y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, all right. Let's get into the RPO, Run Pass Options segment. This is where we like to give you the hottest sports news of the week and let you know whether or not we are going to run with them or pass on them. All right, DeMarcus, I got the first one for you. Okay. Because, you know, last week you were very big on Luka for MVP, right? The Mavericks have been struggling a lot as of late. They're two of eight in their last 10 games and are tied for the worst record in the league in those 10 games. Luca, 
He's shooting under 50% from the field, 32% from three, has a negative plus minus. Are you concerned yet? Pass. <laughs> what? This is the run pass option. I have the option to pass. Uh, you, I will pass on this. Yeah, no, 100%. Shit. <laughs> Did you think I was going to take that bait? I, I mean, damn, I was hoping you would, nigga. <laughs> no, no. All right. I got another one for you. All right. Perkins, Perkins has actually been on the hot streak this week. He recently said that in the 2012 NBA Finals that the reason why OKC lost was because they couldn't get anything out of Harden in their games in Miami because he spent all of his time. Can you guess it? At the strip club, runner pass. I'm going to pass. The quick thing I'll say is I just don't care. I don't think that it would have made a difference. It was the baby thunder. They were not prepared to beat that Heat team who were on a mission that year after losing to Dallas the year before. I don't think even if Harden plays well, that series, I mean, the series wasn't that close to begin with. It was 4-1, yeah. Right. I don't think that Harden playing 10%, 20% better makes a difference in that series. I just don't care. Okay. Last, but definitely not least, I got a little bit more Dallas magic for you. Dak and the Cowboys are reportedly back in contract negotiations. And of course, the Cowboys want to offer Dak the same long-term deal that they offered him last season that resulted in him being franchise tagged. DeMarcus, run or pass? I will run. I will run. I will run. I will run. There's a lot going on here. And I mean, there is a lot. There was already a lot before this season. There's like three extra levels of a lot going on now. This is, you know, 21 Savage a lot. Number one, reportedly, I think the new contract offer is five years, 135 or something like that. That's what it was before. That's what it was before. And the problem before, and I think I've explained this since episode one on this podcast Dak does not want a five-year contract. He definitely does it now. Dak. <laughs> he wanted a four-year one last year. Right. He wanted a four-year contract then to hit the market sooner to be able to get more money. The Cowboys, of course, like to structure their deals really long with five years being the minimum. And I think Zeke's deal is basically like nine or 10 years long with the rest of his rookie deal that was left, the new deal. I think Zeke, Zeke is not going anywhere. Unfortunately. Unless he gets cut. He will probably retire a Cowboy, no question. They have Tyron Smith's contract. It's super long. The Cowboys love doing that because they can put, they can spread out the signing bonus, and they can also go back to the player a bunch of time and say, hey, can we convert some of your signing bonus to be prorated salary? And that lets them tack it on to the end of the deal. They have done this less in recent years, but it's one of their favorite strategies. And what happens, though, when they do that, if a player doesn't end up panning out, when they cut that player or trade that player, they're left with dead bunny. So that's what happened with Des Bryant. That's what happened with Tony Romo. That's what happened with Jason Witten. And they had to eat that dead money on their cap for years. But one of their strategies still is to ask their best players to take super long-term deals to spread out the cap hit. Dak don't care. Dak is like, listen, I was a fourth-round draft pick. Out of all the quarterbacks taken in 2016, I'm the only one who has not been traded, released, or benched. I ball out for you when I am out there. No, the wins have not always been there. But some of that, arguably, is not his fault. Not at least 100%. And that he has proven, given 
reasonable setups, right? Decent O-line, decent run game, some extremely weapons. Extremely good O-line, extremely good run game. So O-line was extremely good. Now, at the very best, it's middle of the pack. They had a ton of injuries last year. Even outside of that, guys are on the decline in their careers. You had a surprise retirement of their center, Travis Frederick. You had Zach Martin, their all-pro right guard. I meant in yeah, his yeah. games when yes. he was Yes, yes, yes. But good. most of the past couple of years when he's looked bad, where people, oh, his last 17, he's this and that. The team has not always been as good as people thought it was, especially the defense, which has been atrocious. Like, you can't blame everything that's wrong with them on Dak. A good part of that is certainly on the defense, and that's without having paid Dak. So that is not his fault whatsoever. And if I'm Dak, I'm like, I've waited my share, my, 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 my fair amount of time. You know, I had faith. I bet on myself. You basically said, F you. We'll do the franchise deal. And now I'm back, and the salary cap is going to drop. I still want out in four years because guess what? If it's dropping this year, I want to be back out in four years to make more money. And so I think they're still going to be at the same impasse until somebody gives. And I think it's the Cowboys. Can you see Dak being tagged a second year in a row for a $37.7 million cap hit? There is some world where I see that happening, yes. Woo! So I don't know how it will work out. I will not try to predict it because this has been going on for like two to three years now. And no one's been able to predict it and nothing really has really happened in it except for both sides being further apart. So we'll see how it plays out. I hope for the best. I want Dak to be with the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys have a lot of options in the offseason. There's going to be unprecedented quarterback movement, but there's no guarantee that when the, the chairs stop, you know, musical chairs stop, that you come away with a quarterback better than Dak. I don't think you take that risk. You know, you have someone who you think is good, who can get you to the playoffs every year reasonably. Mm. I think you stick with him and give him the deal that he wants. Okay. In this division, yes. And this, this, yeah, the division is that matters. No, that's true. It's terrible. It's terrible. All right. So this past week, we had some of that quarterback movement I was referring to already start to happen. We had a huge deal executed between the Lions and the Rams where the Rams sent their former number one overall pick, Jared Goff, along with multiple first-round draft picks to the Lions for quarterback Matthew Stafford, who turns 33, I believe, next week. So the question for you is, who won this trade? Basically, is Stafford an upgrade over Jared Goff? Run or pass? So I'm going to run with this. I think this trade is a little bit more complicated, but to me, it is honestly, in most situations, a win-win. I think the Lions, if I was given trade grades, would get an A+, and the Rams would get a B+. Right? So both teams have done well. The Lions get Stafford, get Stafford somewhere else, and they get two first-round picks and a third-round pick. They get a quarterback in Jared Goff to play bridge until they get their next franchise guy in place, which is huge for them. On the opposite end, I think the Rams get Stafford, who is an upgrade. He's definitely not a downgrade, but I believe he is an upgrade from Jared Goff. So I think that is huge for them. But most importantly, cap space, cap space, cap space. The Rams would have to pay Goff $33 million a year 
until 2024. That is unsustainable for a quarterback of his level of play. It's not that he's trash. Mm-mm. It's not that he's not good. It's not that he can't be a serviceable starting quarterback in the NFL. It's that you cannot put that much of your cap into somebody with that low of a ceiling. And I think that hampers their team. On the other end, Stafford's deal is significantly cheaper, mm-hmm. right? And they will end up with all like the dead money cap stuff for all the people that are super into the cap. The Rams will take a $20 million cap hit this season. But after that, they are paying Stafford about $10 million. You mean, uh, yeah. And so I think actually this year, Stafford's cap hit is less than the dead money from Goff this year. It's $10 million. Yes. Right. Like the combination of the dead money and Stafford's contract are less than Goff's contract. Yeah, that's it is. And the year after that, they'll be offered the dead money, be paying Matt Stafford $10 million and have all the cap space in the world to sign the free agents and go big game hunting because that's what the Rams want to do. The Rams are not trying to get draft picks that might pan out later. They are in win now mode. And I feel like they could probably also extend Stafford for a reasonable amount that they spread over those three years that they really want to and create a situation where they can put a really amazing team around Stafford, who is appreciably better than Jared Goff, even if it's not by a ton. So for me, I think this is a win-win for both sides. I think in the short term, the Rams are the winner of this trade because I just don't really trust the Lions to draft well, develop well, and then do anything with the picks or Jared Goff because, I it's mean, the Lions. they're the Lions. Yeah. So the winner is going to be the Rams just because they're well run and can actually make something with the haul that they get. All right. So that is a very reasonable take. I want to stay in the NFC North and ask you about the Green Bay Packers who recently fired their defensive coordinator, Mike Patin. In his last five games, I believe they held offenses to 16, 18, 16, and like 31 points or something like that, or pretty close, right? No, that's exactly right. And then 31, and in that 31 game, they had three interceptions against Tom Brady and still lost the game. My question for you is, was Mike Pettin a scapegoat for Green Bay not making the Super Bowl? Runner pass. I'm going to run with the concept but not spend a lot of time here. 100% a scapegoat. The defense is not what lost them that game. They got three picks, and the offense only scored six points. I don't know. Based off those five games you said, who are they going to get that in the clutch times, winning games to get yourself a bye, and then getting into the playoffs will give you better than that? I have no idea. But I feel like they had to blame somebody. They decided to choose him. I think if we see this Green Bay defense regress next year, I would not be surprised. Okay. Now, again, staying in the NFC North, we're going to go a little bit further away south in Minneapolis, where there are rumors that the Vikings have been in talks to trade Kirk Cousins for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, hold on. Okay. Hold on. Okay. So do you think that Kirk Cousins would be an upgrade for the 49ers 
over Jimmy Garoppolo? Right okay. or pass? Pass. I'm a hundred percent uninterested in this because Kirk Cousins is only an upgrade in so far as he will most likely be on the field because he does not get hurt consistently. Like Kirk Cousins was pretty Iron Manish. Like he played through the franchise tags, mm-hmm. somehow got off of the franchise tags without being hurt, and then signing his full guaranteed deal. And now on another deal, off a, like yes, like. Man is Iron Man in it for real. And if the upgrade is just like the best ability is availability, sure. Kirk Cousins is an, is an upgrade in that sense. But outside of that, this does not excite me at all for the 49ers. I am meh. Pass. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things that athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. Right. So for this week's Ballers Bouquet, I'm going to stay a little bit close to home. You know, we record and live in Dallas for this podcast, and I've been a huge, huge Cowboys and Mavericks fan growing up here in the DFW area. So for this week's Ballers Bouquet, we're going to go to our Dallas Maverick player, Josh Richardson. All right. So Richardson, by all means, is not a household name. He is a good player, played at Tennessee, been in the league about six years, former second-round draft pick for the NBA. Scores about 13 and 3 every game. Solid numbers, right? A solid, good role player. But someone who has a huge, huge heart and always has. So let me tell you a little bit about Josh Richardson. Richardson grew up in a household where his mom was in the Air Force and his dad was a firefighter. They would uh, regularly load up their He would help load the firefighter's truck up, and they'd ride around their town there. He's from Edmond, Oklahoma. Oh, You've been there. Yeah. Uh, We've both been there. It's uh, right outside of Oklahoma City, uh, kind of a small town feel, and that's where he's from. So former military kid, son of a firefighter, all about giving to others and service of others. And Richardson has been all about service of others in a way that most players are not. Most players are typically about one organization, one cause. A lot of players we've covered on this podcast who have received this Ballers Bouquet have had primarily one charity or one cause, whether it be, you know, we talked about Lamar Jackson and his charity about helping feed kids who need access to food outside of school, et cetera. We talked about all kinds of athletes to Patrick Mahomes and the Mahomies and what he does for children in the KC area. What, is that not a great name? <laughs> is that not a great name? That still gets me. It's very little... The Little Lebowski Urban Achievers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. But Richardson is actually different from all those athletes in a pretty significant way in that he helps a variety of different causes and organizations in the North Texas area and an ability to try to, or a, a chance to try to change the lives of people in the Metroplex. And I have a quote here from Richardson where he says, my family instilled in me early on the value of service. And that communities are created and sustained by our ability to support and serve others. And that is such an important message 
at this time in our country where things are so divisive, where we can't really always have, or people don't always have compassion for their, their neighbor, so to speak. And I think Richardson really exemplifies what that means to have compassion for the other person. And in particular, to do the daily service things that mean that there aren't emergencies. Because I think a lot of people, a lot of people, and I think you'll agree with me on this, are always apt to help in an emergency. They want to come in, cape waving in the wind, and be the hero. And I think a lot of small things before we get to that point can help prevent those emergencies. And players like Josh Richardson are doing the little things in the community. They're going to ultimately help prevent those kind of situations from coming up and the need for people to be heroes. So he's done a few different things this past season. Uh, number one, he helped donate, essentially cheer to holiday during the holidays for military families. He surprised them with presents, shoes, goodies, prizes, everything to help cheer them up around the holidays. As we know, lots of military families move around a lot. They're not always near their extended family. Not to mention we've had this whole you know pandemic thing going on for quite a long time. And he really connected with the families that he worked with and didn't just drop off presents and leave and didn't just do a social media, hey, I'm here, but actually connected and bonded with these people in ways that most athletes don't, very much in the same way that Deshaun Watson bonded with the kids we talked about last week who won his four for number four challenge this past summer in Houston. But in addition to that kind of act, just last week, Richardson also gifted 40 pairs of Reebok shoes and Mavs swag to frontline healthcare workers in the DFW area. We know that hospitals have been overrun and our healthcare workers are doing a tremendous job trying to help save all of us um, and our loved ones from this terrible COVID pandemic. And, and this is not new for Richardson. Even early on in his career, he's been a staunch supporter of all kinds of causes and charities for his organization, no matter where he has been at. He, for example, helps out with a program called TAPS which is an acronym for the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And over the years, he has hosted shopping sprees. He's volunteered, done all sorts of things. So this is just all around a good guy who's not doing it for the recognition. He's doing it because that's the way he was raised. And he thinks it makes his community a better place. So this week's Ballers Bouquet is for Josh Richardson. We want to give him a huge, huge shout out uh, as a local Dallas Maverick player. And as importantly, the Mavericks, even though he's new to their team, he just got there this season, he's only been there a few months, have nominated Josh Richardson for the NBA Community Assist Player Award for the month of January. So that's a big, big deal for him. I am rooting for him. I hope he gets the recognition that he deserves for all the good work that he does in our community. And that's this week's Ballers Bouquet. Y'all is Tony Playboy. All right, that's it for episode 21 of the Fly Route Podcast. As always, we want to thank each and every single one of you for rocking with us, taking the time out of your days to listen, and we always want to hear your feedback. You can always contact us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at the Fly Route Pod. Let us know what you think. We want to know where you want to see Bradley Beal going. Do you want to see him up there in Denver? Or do you want to see him down there in Philly? Let us know. More importantly, we got something new coming for you this week. We love doing this. We talk sports all the time. We do this because we love it. And 
sometimes there are things that don't quite make it into the official Fly Route podcast that goes up on Spotify or iTunes. So we got some great bonus content coming at you for this week. Stay out on the lookout for that. See you next week. We drop every Friday. <laughs>